Hello, I'm Zanele Butelezi, and this is China Africa Talk. Newly appointed Chinese Foreign Minister Xin Gang makes his inaugural trip to Africa. It has been a 33-year fine tradition that Chinese foreign ministers make their first overseas tour to Africa every year. For me, this visit has another special meaning, that it's my first trip as China's foreign minister. It's intended to showcase the close friendship between China and Ethiopia, as well as the important status of China-Africa relations in China's overall diplomacy. Peace and development top the agenda as African leaders, including African Union Commission Chairperson Musafaki Mohamed, Give a warm welcome to the Chinese Foreign Minister. This is a result of China-Africa cooperation. This building shows the Commonwealth of China and Africa to develop cooperation. It will improve the African people's health and bring prosperity. China and Africa enjoy a long history of cooperation in terms of health, which has set an example. The completion of the first phase of the Africa CDC headquarters project demonstrates the close and in-depth cooperation between China and Africa in health. In this episode, we'll look at the significance of this five-country visit by Chinese Foreign Minister Xin Gan and what it means for China-Africa cooperation. Chinese Foreign Minister Xin Gan is on his first trip to Africa following his appointment to the post in December. His trip kicked off in Ethiopia earlier this week, where he held meetings with the country's leaders as well as the African Union Commission chairperson Musafaki Mohamed. The Chinese Foreign Minister's week-long tour in Africa also includes Gabon, Angola, Benin and Egypt. It's a long-standing tradition going back three decades that China's foreign ministers start their overseas trips by visiting Africa. China-Africa cooperation has significantly strengthened in recent years with Beijing stepping up its humanitarian aid and construction of major infrastructure projects across the continent. China has also remained Africa's largest trading partner for 13 years in a row. Beyond the Belt and Road Initiative, China has also showed support for the African Union's peace and security program envisioned in its Agenda 2063, a blueprint for transforming Africa into a powerhouse. To discuss Xingang's trip to Africa, I'm joined by my guests, Dr. Emmanuel Madambo, Research Director at the Center for Africa-China Studies at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa and Dr. Grace Yuehan Wang, Senior Research Fellow with the Department of Journalism at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Chinese Foreign Minister Xin Gang is on his uh, first trip to Africa after succeeding Wang Yi. So how significant would you say this trip is? Well, first, as you just mentioned, uh, this is actually a tradition that a lot of uh, Mr. Qinggang's predecessor have insisted on for the last over three decades to visit Africa. So I think as the old Chinese scene, so Qinqi, well, it is actually a Chinese way, you know, to maintain good relationship with relatives and friends. 
So I think Mr. Qingang's visit to Africa demonstrates that the Chinese government and Chinese people uh, continuously value this long-term relationship with African countries. And second, I think the significance of this visit is actually highlighted by Mr. Qingang's recent appointment as the new uh, Chinese foreign minister. So from my understanding, Mr. Qingang's visit to Africa in the beginning of 2023 actually shows that he's ready to take on his new prominent role. Uh, and meanwhile, we know he's still relatively young as a high profile Chinese uh, diplomat. So I believe his visit to Africa signals the future geopolitical emphasis of the Chinese government. Now coming to you, Emmanuel, Qinggang uh, is a new foreign minister and his visit also comes at the time where we just had in October last year, we had uh, the CPC's 20th National Congress. Uh, so what does this mean to you? How do you read this? And uh, for you, how significant is this trip? Do you expect to see change in China's engagement with Africa? First of all, let's throw this back to the 20th uh, Congress of the Communist Party of China at which President Xi Jinping was given another term as the General, General Secretary of the CPC. Well, that is of utmost importance to China's relationship with Africa because uh, we have noted that since coming to the helm of power in 2013, President Xi Jinping has prioritized Africa's relationship with China. Now, uh, that obviously has been uh, borne out by the intensity of trade relations reaching 254 billion United States dollars in 2021. And what was of utmost importance was that we have now we are now seeing a change in the manner of trade exchange between Africa and China under Xi Jinping's uh, stewardship. Imports to China are now uh, supplanting uh, imports from, from, from China to the African continent. And that was of, that is of significance to Africa. Obviously, we have to, we can, at a further discussion, we can talk about the quality of the exports that are taken from Africa to, to China. Uh, when it comes to seeing change, yes, there will be uh, some, some, some changes in Africa's relationship with China. I hope it will be changed that will be for the better. I hope it will be changed that we will see whether uh, kind of challenges that we saw, such as the coronavirus pandemic, for example, Africa and China seem to have weathered the storm of uh, the coronavirus pandemic and uh, the relationship has remained steady. Um, when it comes to the significance of uh, Minister, Foreign Minister Ching Gang's maiden visit to the African continent, let me answer that question briefly, but in four parts. The first part being the timing of the, of the visit. Uh, it has come in the second week of January. Now, that on face value could not be of significance because as you rightly put it, Zanele, and um, as Dr. Grace Wang has put it as well, this has been a long-standing tradition of China for the last 23 years. So the timing, not that at, at a pedestrian level, nothing much could not be read into it, but there is some significance and that leads me to the second point and that is about Xinjiang's appointment. He was only appointed foreign minister of China on the 30th. Of December, so he's only very uh, young in, in his position. He's also a young uh, foreign minister, by the way, but he's very young in his position, having taken it over about uh, two weeks ago. So he has hit the ground running, if I could use that expression. Second, thirdly, we can talk about his previous appointment. His experience has been mainly in the West, and his latest appointment was as Chinese ambassador to the United States. So there is a significance to that that leads me 
actually to the fourth point, which is about the Africa-US Leadership Summit, which happened from the 13th and the, to the 15th of December last year. Now, whilst at that conference, China was not expressly mentioned, leading up to that summit was the backdrop of China's relationship with Africa, the, a relationship that the United States would do well to lessen this current visit is very important to try and beat back some of the criticism that has been lashed out at Africa's relationship with China. Uh, let me come to you, Grace. Chinese uh, Foreign Minister Qin Gang's itinerary also has five countries. Why these countries? Well, I think the countries chosen are quite representative in terms of their locations and the use of their official language on the African continent. Um, for instance, like a Gamba was a French colony and its official language is French. And Angola was actually a Portuguese colony and the, the language is Portuguese. So I think Mr. Chingang's visit to these African countries demonstrates his understanding and knowledge of the African history and their developmental struggles in the past. So I think China and those African countries share a foundational ideology similarity. And this is extremely uh, important uh, because we know uh, China's economic master, Mr. Deng Xiaoping, actually gave his speech at the United Nations Assembly in the 1960s that China belonged to the third world and sought after a peaceful international environment for its own economic development. So China's rise to the second largest economy in the last four decades indicates the importance of a peaceful international environment as well as African countries' potential to leapfrog their industrial and economic futures. So I think the selection of the countries are very important. And uh, I want to mention that, so Ethiopia is China, uh, Chinese Foreign Minister Qing Gang's first stop in Africa. And I think this choice is very, very insightful because we know Ethiopia is an African country that was not colonialized by any European powers. So it was able to uh, resist the colonialization attempts by the British and the Italians in the past. And Ethiopia has also a rich civilization, which is very similar to ancient China. And from a more recent perspective, uh, we know Ethiopia was named China of Africa for a long time. And in November last year, uh, so Ethiopia's federal government and leaders of the country's northern region agreed to end two years of a war. So again, like I just mentioned, Mr. Qinggang's first stop in, in Ethiopia shows that China is a country that values peace and security to advance a country's development. And so I, I think that is why uh, maybe he chose his first stop in Africa is Ethiopia. And the last, I wanna talk about Egypt because we know Egypt is also a rich uh, ancient country and it links Northeast Africa and the Middle East. And it is actually the headquarter of Arab League. Um, and we know China has actually emerged as the Arab region's largest trading partner. So I think Mr. Chingang's visit to Egypt also signals the importance of a China-Arab relationship. Let me come to you, Emmanuel. Why these five countries? Why are they important to China? First of all, maybe let me just cast the question back to, to what uh, Dr. Wang said about the choice of the countries. So obviously the, the choice of Egypt as well is quite interesting because of the intersecting civilizational 
pedigree that Egypt and China share. In addition to that, obviously, is the building of the new administration capital in Egypt, uh, a, a project to which China has kind of contributed massively. And obviously, thirdly, is the fact that last year, uh, China had uh, an important summit with uh, the Arab uh, nations as well. So this might just be a follow-up of that uh, particular meeting. China has strengthened its ties in recent years with Africa through different areas, uh, including building infrastructure via the Belt and Road Initiative, as well as providing uh, humanitarian aid to several countries. We saw with uh, COVID-19 how much China was involved in uh, providing access to its vaccines to different countries in Africa and elsewhere in the world. So, Emmanuel, when looking at this visit by Chingang, what would you say you expect to see come out of the, this uh, trip? Well, this visit is uh, important and there are key things that I think the African side, by the way, should raise, not only wait for the, for the Chinese side to, to, to raise. Most of the times when there, is, uh, there are discussions between Africa and China, as Africans, we tend not to be organized. We just tend to react to whatever, to positively react to whatever China puts on the table. And I think we should be more proactive than we have been hitherto. The most important stakeholder in Africa's relationship with China is an ordinary African, obviously, and an ordinary Chinese person. So of utmost importance should be the prioritization of ordinary Africans. But what do ordinary Africans need? The first thing that ordinary Africans need, obviously, is life. So life, so health, investment in health with of paramount importance. And it is quite commendable that China has been putting um, vaccines at the disposal of Africa. We can debate about the efficacy of vaccines at a later stage, but it is quite important that China has committed itself to building vaccines in Africa, not only bringing vaccine, offering vaccines to Africa, but also building the capacity for uh, medicinal production and manufacturing on the African continent. That is of paramount importance. And that is why I'm very happy that Xinjiang chose to partake uh, in the opening of the Africa CDC and gave that wonderful speech. Those who have the opportunity should go and look at that uh, particular speech. So health is of utmost importance and I hope Africans will raise that particular uh, idea. The second one is security. We have seen the rise of insurgency, insecurity in Africa. And insurgencies even in countries such as Mozambique, for example, countries that historically did not deal with extremism. So obviously we need that, uh, that, that African um, countries uh, raise that particular, um, uh, particular aspect. And it is obviously of uh, paramount importance that Ethiopia is, is, is being visited, Gabon and Benin. These are countries that are susceptible to, 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 to strike. So the African side should raise the issue of uh, security as well. Technology is another important aspect. I dare say, actually, that one of the main uh, causes barely of the, of the 21st century will be on who dominates the area of technology and Africa should not be left behind. Today we are talking about the advent of the fourth industrial revolution and Africa once again threatens to be at the fringe of technological advancement. So how can Africa rework its relationship with China to make sure that it's not left behind in the area of technology? Infrastructure, finally, is of paramount importance. Up to today, Africa is running a deficit of about 100 billion United States dollars annually in terms of its infrastructure. And that amount actually threatens to double by 2025. 
if we do not make any strides. How we have China's uh, relationship with Africa, make sure that we probably eliminate, or we know at that uh, the particular uh, deficit and make sure that we do not fall into what uh, China's detractors are calling the debt trap diplomacy. How are we going to sustainably uh, make sure that Africa's infrastructure is improved as it uh, interacts with, with China? And that will go actually to the heart of the Agenda 2063, a template of uh, a framework of development in Africa according to the African Union. So those are just some of the issues uh, that I hope will be dealt with. But obviously, as I said at the beginning, I want Africa to be more proactive in driving those particular agenda. Grace, coming to you, um, what do you think should be top of the agenda at these meetings between the Chinese foreign minister and uh, African leaders as he makes his tours around these five countries that have been uh, selected? I mean, we look at this uh, trip coming at a time when China has just lifted its uh, COVID-19 restrictions and reopened its borders. I'm interested to know or find out as to what opportunities this presents for the cooperation between China and Africa. Uh, I think I just want to say, uh, like my colleague Emma just uh, mentioned, you know, like there are a lot of, you know, continuous uh, cooperation between China and the African um, countries, like, you know, the, the building of the African CDC, you know, and the uh, railway and also the digital infrastructure such as 4G, 5G. I think this is all very uh, concrete, uh, ongoing plans and also future collaborations. But in terms of the top agenda uh, for Mr. Qingang's visit, uh, with African leaders, I would say um, he started his African trip on January 9th, right? And the top focus should be on deepen the African country's confidence that China is a reliable international partner that will continue to work with African countries for their own development through infrastructure building, trade investment, and other future collaborations. So I think the signal of mutual confidence should be the top priority of his visit. And in terms of the question, you know, uh, China just uh, reopened. And I think there are two kinds of uh, opportunities from my own observations. First is traveling. Uh, I think Recently, the South African uh, news and the South African government uh, said they will not uh, place, you know, travel restrictions on travelers from China. So I think from that kind of statement, we can see uh, a lot of African countries such as South Africa, they uh, are eager to welcome Chinese travelers. Uh, so I think that is a good sign. And the second is about educational exchange. So I think educational exchange is, uh, is an area that uh, could be explored uh, a little bit more between China and African countries. And we know there are actually a lot of you know, African students uh, who are studying in China uh, even before the COVID. So I think the uh, the China's reopening could further this kind of educational exchange, uh, such as the academic programs among students and maybe also the government official exchange as well. And for you, Emmanuel, what do you expect to see from uh, this uh, reopening uh, in China? I, I expect uh, a, a lot of um, positive um, things to emerge. And um, obviously, I expect uh, being in Africa, so I'm uh, placed in a situation where um, I, I really expect that uh, Africa's potential could be improved upon. As I mentioned, 
earlier on, Africa finds itself today in a situation where it is the fastest growing uh, continent when it comes to population. It is also the youngest uh, continent uh, in the in the world. Only about only about three percent of Africans are above the age of 65, and that is a staggering statistic. A statistic, by the way, which is positive statistic that could be actually an adverse statistic if employment, education, inequality, and poverty are not kind of worked upon vigorously by Africa. And who is a better player to do that than China, a country that has been where Africa currently is today? So I expect that um, with what is currently happening, there will be more educational exchanges between African students and their Chinese counterparts as well. And obviously at a political level, I expect some mutually uh, benefiting uh, uh, undertakings to be made and implemented. The, the, the biggest problem that we have in Africa is that we have some of the best documents, some of the best policies, some of the best constitutions as well, but then bringing them into fruition has been a problem. So I hope that we will use the current opening up situation between Africa and China to make sure that uh, the potential that China, that Africa currently has will be wielded in order to result into tangible benefits for the continent. Yeah, I want to add to what my colleague Emmanuel uh, just shared, because based on my firsthand knowledge and uh, research interviews with a lot of local Africans, uh, I think none of them have an interest in exploring business opportunities in the Chinese market. But compared to European or the US markets, I think many Africans lack the business matchmaking networks. So I think this, this is a great potential for you know, uh, private sectors to work on. Which potential areas should be explored uh, to further strengthen the cooperation between China and Africa? So I think there's a very important aspect that, uh, that could you know, be explored for the China-African cooperation uh, is agriculture technology. So we know in many remote areas of China, um, the climate conditions are not really conducive to the food plantation. And uh, uh, all over the world, we are faced with the food security problem. And uh, many African countries are actually faced with similar natural difficulties like the remote areas in China uh, are. So how can we utilize the technology to uh, jointly conduct some research to so solve these problems? I think this is uh, an area that China and African countries could learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And uh, your last words from you, Emmanuel, for you, which areas uh, should be explored more in terms of uh, trying to strengthen cooperation between China and Africa? The areas that should be explored more are actually the areas of cooperation between ordinary Africans and uh, ordinary Chinese. I'm, I'm obsessing over this point because uh, I have, unlike most of the analysis that has been done on Africa's relationship with China, my particular niche area is an area of people-to-people -people relations because I believe um, when, when, when we talk about relations among nations and we confine them to the area of the elite, we tend not so much to prioritize the man on the street, the man and woman on the street. And I think that is the area to which uh, China and Africa should look more. Uh, and, and that hasn't been done uh, with, with, with uh, sufficient uh, vigor in the, in, the, in, the, in the past because I believe as uh, Howard French wrote in his book, China's Second Continent, that uh, the biggest shapers 
of Africa's relationship with China in the future will actually be ordinary Chinese and ordinary Africans. So yes, there, there, there should be more investment in that particular area. Now, the subset of that particular investment will be in the areas of health, in the areas of technology, in the areas of education, and in the areas of infrastructure. Once we make sure that the ordinary Chinese and ordinary Africans are catered for, then there will be nothing but positive news coming from Africa's relationship with China. And even when the relationship is troubled waters, it will have the assurance of support from ordinary Africans and ordinary Chinese. And with that, we end our episode. And let me thank my guest, Dr. Emmanuel Matambo, Research Director at the Center for Africa-China Studies at the University of Johannesburg in South Africa, and Dr. Grace Yuehan Wang, Senior Research Fellow with the Department of Journalism at Stellenbosch University in South Africa. Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post it on social media or leave a rating and review. Thanks again. See you next time.